Hey, listener, if you've enjoyed Shakisha and the White Boy, consider visiting us at anchor.fm backslash SATWB and using the support button. And now, on with the show. Welcome, welcome. You are listening to Shakisha and the White Boy. I am your host, Ryan Dinger, a.k.a. The White Boy. And I am joined here by my wonderfully talented co-host, the dope-ass leader herself, Shakisha Williams. Shakisha. Hello. hello. No, I was I was geared up for like a white, something white. I know. know. I, well, you Very know, I, like you didn't go Shecky this week. Like I didn't. We're, so I've, I've been skipping them a few. We're like third. This is our 39th episode, I think. Yeah. It turns out it's really hard to write 39 jokes about how white I am. So <laughs> that's so you I've had to skip are them. not like the right. You're not in the writer's room for like Jimmy Kimmel or Fallon. Right. It's just like <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. It is hard. It is hard. Yes. I mean, I think if I were in a writer's room, focusing all my time and energy on that, I could probably come up with some more and I'm sure that I will have more, but you know, the, uh, I, it's, it just, uh, this, this week, well, there wasn't anything there for me. I didn't, I didn't have any inspiration. So how are you? How are things? All right. Okay. So the, what, what I wanted to do was like, do something different for this particular, you know, opening. So generally, you know, you and I just kind of talk about our day or something that happened or ask Mm -hmm. each other questions about, you know, stuff in general. But, and by the way, this is not sponsored. So don't get happy, y'all. This is not sponsored. I just want to say that out the gate. This is just one humble woman's opinion. And my co-host just happens to also be a lover of music. Mm -hmm. This is app called Lyric Party Game. Okay. Now, the game is based on several different genres of music, pop, country, rock, uh, of course, hip hop, R&B and and of the like. They even have like 80s and 90s and stuff. So the goal is to answer, to say the lyric, the person reads you the lyric and you tell them where what song it is. Mm, That sounds fun. Yeah. All right. I'm going to just do a couple with you because. I think I'm nice, but I I, I kind of know you're nice as well. Okay. So start first. You're on the, the screen. You start the party. Now you choose what your genre is. We okay. got R&B. We got pop. We got hip hop. We got country. We got gospel. We got holidays, 80s hits, 90s hits, mm. female groups. So what do you want? Let's try some 80s hits. Ooh, look at this guy. He was just a zygote. And yet he wants to give it a shot. Okay. I love that decade. <laughs> all right um are you ready that's yes. what this okay here we go um okay your party starts five four three two one go what does cindy lauper see shining through what does cindy lauper see shining skip if you want to skip how does stephanie mills feel all over Oh man, I thought this was going to be like lyrics from songs and then skip I would have skip. Sorry. <laughs> what did the point of sister say it was raining? Oh man, uh, men. According oh man, they La- said men. Sorry. According to LaVert, who have they never been friends with? 
According to Levert, who and then skip. Oof. What did Tina Turner want to know about love? What's it got to do with it? When Kate Bush was running up the hill, who would she make a deal with? Uh, skip. Uh, I should know that one. Glenn Jones had a lot, a lot of what to give. Glenn Jones had a lot of... I'm going to guess Eight love. Seconds. Yeah, I don't know. When skip. did Freddie Jackson want to be rocked? When did Freddie For Jackson... old times say... Man, I uh, thought that would be better at this category. Uh, okay. I get two. You played four hits, totaling four points, and skipped four songs. So you got <laughs> so you got four right. You got the Tina Turner. You got the. I gave you the Glenn Jones by mistake. I gave you the Lavert by mistake. You got the Point of Sisters correct. So, so I got two. You got two. Not great, not great, but that but, uh, that was but, different than what I was imagining. But the great thing about that game is it could be played with a bunch of friends. Yeah. So it could be like groups of people and whatever you don't know, generally your group would. What was the name of the game again? Lyric party game. Lyric party game. So, yeah. Well, so I do love music, as you know, but uh, actually Caitlin thinks that I'm very weird because I don't really listen to music for the lyrics. So as much as I love music, I'm not a huge lyric guy. Like, obviously I know lyrics, but I'm much more into melody and how the song's constructed. I listen to it more like a producer more than anything. Like, oh, this is the the drum sound they got on that, or this is what they're doing in this part. And lyrics often for me are like the last thing I notice about a song. Like when I get it, when I, when there's an album that I really like, if the melodies are really strong and good and the music's all really good and I'm really into it, sometimes it'll be a couple of weeks before I even start to realize like, oh, that's what this song's about. So I, wow. I do have a bit of a like mental block with lyrics. I'm much more about the music itself. Interestingly. Yeah. And the crazy thing about it is growing up, I was like a storytelling person. So I had to learn whole books to reiterate mm. them and recite them in front of people. And not only that, because I was one of the most uncool people that I knew, I would take my time <laughs> press play like this is back in the day with the radio on top of the tape recorder oh yeah mash it down during the like top 40s learn all the rap songs and would write down lyrics so i'm a big lyric person it's so funny that you talked about i was just thinking about how i used to record songs off the radio like that when i was a kid and you have like the dj talking over the intro or like coming in you know before the song was over and you ah almost had the whole song or like you know, and then there's the version you have is just whatever promo the dj was doing for yeah. the first 15 seconds for the worst the worst i can't even imagine trying to tell kids today what that was like like this is how we used to save songs i would get my little radio put on q102 philadelphia when i was in first yeah. and second grade that was like the pop station the hit station <laughs> hit record when when i heard the song that i knew i wanted came on and yes. <laughs> recorded onto a tape what a what a time like, to be what, like this whole mashup situation and you become like an expert you know exactly how to press it oh you yeah you know when you can always kind of tell, except for when the DJ wants to be cute, but usually you can tell when the song's about to end in the commercial or the, mm-hmm. you know, the, what do they call it? The call signs getting ready to come in. So you know when the, yeah. and the the greatest thing was learning how to fast forward on the tape and get it exactly right. Oh, you master. oh man. You I master. don't think I ever got that advanced. That I is, did. I think CDs came out before I got to that level. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, you said you were a storyteller and folks, we've actually got another stellar guest and storyteller lined up for you today as the one and only Gino Brooks will be joining us to discuss his mentorship program called Bear the Torch, how he overcame creative depression, why simply showing up is so important to success and so much more. That's coming up a little bit later on, but first it's time to start as we always do with a little segment we like to call WTF. WTF, Shakisha, this week we have a story that comes from BBC, an article I found in early January. Here's the headline. U.S. science teacher arrested for vaccinating a 17-year-old student. And I'll give you a little bit from the story as well. A New York school teacher with no formal medical qualifications has been arrested for allegedly giving a COVID vaccine to a student, says officials. Police say Lara Russo administered the dose at her home despite having no legal authorization to give jabs or consent from the boy's parents. Miss Russo, 54, who teaches biology, was held on New Year's Eve of 2021 and could face four years in prison if convicted. The 17-year-old boy had reportedly wanted the vaccine. Shakisha, you're a parent. How would you feel if one of your student, one of your kids' teachers gave them a vaccine? without you knowing or consenting to that. Wow. I mean, I can't. So, okay. The parents were fully in their rights to have that woman charged. Let's just, let's just get that out the way. Um, Whatever your philosophical differences, unless the child is being harmed physically shoot even emotionally so it's, it's it's some stuff that can be like abuse okay let's just mm-hmm. say if the child is being abused 1000% please step in get the authorities involved make it happen she did a couple of illegal things so she administered the vaccine she did in fact video of the incident which occurred on long island appears to show miss russo telling the teenager quote you'll be fine i hope who took the video? Like, who is this idiot? I'm not, yeah, that's true. Who's the cameraman? True. Like, well, these are white people. And I will say, oh white people seem God. to not have like someone, that, that knowledge of you do not record yourself committing a crime. That's that. I mean, that the entire January 6th insurrection is a testament to the idea that white people in general are not afraid of police enough and do not have the awareness to understand that if you're going to commit a crime, you shouldn't document it on video. So go ahead. Okay. So geez, Louise. So there's video evidence. My God. Um, She was completely out of pocket. Whatever her feelings are about Mm -hmm. the vaccine, whatever her thoughts are behind this person, um, this young man or woman, I can't remember if it was a man or a boy. It was a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Like whatever this boy asked for or whatever, however this boy felt, it's often great to have a sounding board for kids. Like sometimes they don't even have anyone to go to and Mm -hmm. talk to about things that are affecting them. So the fact that he was open enough with her to have the conversation, you could have left it there and explain to him things that he could do to prevent himself to lessen the um, opportunity for him to get um, COVID-19. Like walk him through, let let him know, keep your mask on, make sure you keep yeah, I would have just bought the boy a bunch of hand sanitizer. How about that? 
Yeah. Because you know, teenagers in it, uh, they're disgusting. So I just yeah. bought the boy a, a, <laughs> a value pack. Of, teenage boys, for sure. <laughs> value pack of hand sanitizers. But you were totally out of your realm. And this is me as a liberal woman, a black woman who don't always get on board with a lot of people. But mm-hmm. man, listen, you played yourself with that one. Yeah. Yeah. In so- my, in my, in my uh, college voice, congratulations. You played yourself. <laughs> I, I think we're in agreement here. The thing that I would say, so I'm going to put myself in in your mind here because I know a, a lot of times, or at least sometimes on WTF, you like to give people the benefit of the doubt, which I actually appreciate about you. You, you try to see both sides of the story, right? So I'm, I'm going to try to do that. What I imagine happened, best case scenario is that this boy's parents are anti-vax and wouldn't let him get vaccinated and so he turned to the teacher and she said, all right, I'll do it. I don't know how she even got access to an, an inoculation. I'll just say that. How first. about that? But, and, and I'll say, I'm a person. You, you, I'm, I'm, I feel very strongly at this point. Get vaccinated. Like if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, do it. I've, I've, I've gotten, you know, I'm months past, past the vaccination now. Nothing's happened. It's fine. I agree. So, I agree. And, I know, and I know that you agree, but there is a violation of uh of uh you know what what her role is supposed to be for for this boy now i imagine he came to her and again i don't even know if the parents are anti-vax by the way i'm, I'm only speculating the story mm-hmm, didn't say anything mm-hmm. like that but yeah, 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 let's yeah. just assume that that's how it happened you could drive him to a cvs or a walgreens or somewhere and have a pharmacist administer the vaccine like at that time right I, if my if memory serves correct correctly at that time i believe ages 12 and up were eligible to get the vaccine at that time and you didn't need parental consent as far as i know maybe i maybe, I have, that, maybe I have that wrong but i don't believe that you did so he you you could have given him a way to go get vaccinated in a safe and a responsible environment without you know having to do it, do it yourself. And the other thing that's really scary is uh, there are considerable health risks and dangers. If someone administers a vaccine incorrectly, this is why you have doctors and nurses do this. They're trained professionals. They know what they're doing. It's not something you should be doing on your own. So, you know, on the one hand, I do think her, her heart was probably in the right place. She just wanted to help help this kid out. The kid probably wanted to get vaccinated and wasn't allowed to for whatever reason. Like that's what I think is the best case scenario. If it wasn't that, then obviously she was even more wrong, but I still yeah. think like, how do you fit, fit, like fix your mind to that is okay to give someone a shot like that? Exactly. And, and the fact I didn't see the video, so I don't know how she said it, but the, the fact that the quote is you'll be fine. I hope that, that hanging if, dot, if, dot, if, dot. If you need to say that, then maybe you should rethink what you're doing. (laughs) But wait, there's also a very big deal around timing with the vaccines. So how did she obtain it? Where did she get it from? Did she Mm -hmm. just like come upon it like a truck was driving? Like how did she even get this? A bag of vaccines fell out the back of the truck (laughs) and she's been administering vaccines around the city. Like, what are you doing, lady? Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get it. I just... Yeah, I I don't have kids, but I can't imagine if I had children, I would want teachers to be performing. Uh, I am 
good on that. Medical procedures on that. I'm good on that. That was as bad as when after like some stuff had happened in a few schools, they were talking about teachers walking around armed. No, thank you. I'm good Uh, on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no thanks. So, Miss Russo, uh, out on Long Island, what the fuck? We are back. Yeah, I can't believe she was out running around giving shots to to kids. I just or to one kid at least. One one is enough, frankly. So that was a story that came along, and I was like, that has so to sad. So WG. sad. I hope she yeah. learns her lesson. I do too. And and if she has to go to jail, you know, sorry for that. But she she clearly was, as you said, she was out of pocket and she played herself. <laughs> but moving on. We are now moving into our next segment where we will welcome the wonderful Gino Brooks to the show. I love Gino because I feel like he is sort of the walking tech. He's the textbook definition of walking the walk. This is a dude who puts his money where his mouth is and does the things he says he's going to do. We love the conversation that we had with him. Let me hit you with the bio. Gino Brooks is an American filmmaker hailing from Chicago, Illinois, most known for his new media projects, including award-winning digital series, The Therapist, the Greek Life digital series, Black Boots, and the latest love story, Jones. He has successfully built the digital streaming network and SVOD service, Artistic Standard TV, which showcases not only his original content, but supports rising bold voices and talent, giving them a space to hone their craft. He is an integral part of the Creative Collective, which has amassed an audience of over 80,000. Brooks sharpened his producing, directing, and writing skills as fundamental support to Oscar and Emmy-nominated filmmakers such as Virgil Williams, uh, Ali Leroy, Deborah Martin Chase, and most recently, Aaron Gilbert of Bronze Studios. Brooks is an active member of the WGA and serves on the Associate Board of Color Entertainment. He is also the founder of the Bear the Torch program, which we had a great conversation with him about. Uh, Bear the Torch supports rising bold voices in the BIPOC community and strives to give them space to hone their craft. Shakisha, Gino is your find. He's your guy. Anything you'd like to add before we get into the segment? Gino's dope, man. I can't wait for y'all to hear this interview. Let's get into it. Or as... uh, Gino would say, let's go. All right. So, you know, we, we, we talked about this brother. We bigged him up. We read his bio, which probably could go on for so much like longer, so many more pages, but he's a humble man and he only sent us a nice little succinct paragraph to keep it <laughs> keep it pleasant. Um, but I had an opportunity to kind of collaborate with him in um, Clubhouse. I Every Tuesday, it's the Artistic Standards Room led by Tamika Briscoe, who was uh, another guest of ours for season two. Uh, she kicked it off and, you know, she calls him brother. And to be honest with you, Ryan, I love Tamika. Um, and she didn't get that wrong. Like Gino is someone who people count on, call on, um, people look up to. Um, I'm dying to work with the brother. I don't know how we're gonna collaborate, <laughs> but we gotta make it happen some sort of way. Cause like the dopeness, we're gonna get into the to the um meat and potatoes, but everybody put your hands together, slap your Give me a little snap for the one and only Mr. Gino Brooks in the building. (laughs) (laughs) Gino, welcome to the show, man. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Ryan. Happy to be here. Been looking forward to this. Gino, my man, what is good, homeboy? I'm in the building. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to get right into it. Um, I guess we start from the start from the beginning. How did you begin your career in in uh, in entertainment? Oh, man. Um, I like to think it started with a gift from my grandfather that passed away. The last thing he gave me was a, a Polaroid camera. And, um, and that, if you will, kind of put me into photography. And photography then led to, um, you know, me being the guy with the camera in a the, in the, in the friend's group all the time. I was responsible. We going somewhere. I had to have my camera there remind me. Um, and then that kind of matched my love for, for um, TV, you know, the things that I was keeping me uh, busy or sometimes babysitting when my mom's worked a few jobs. And, um, you know, so that's kind of where it all started in my head at the very least. And then I kind of put those things together once I came to L.A. and worked an internship uh, with one of my best friends. And then what I, I don't know if I said this before, but. Um, working with this group home for these these kids in this intern i was coming every summer from wilberforce university that's where i went to school and my best friend lives here in la so i would come stay the summer with him and his, and his family and work and one of the things we did was we took our kids to the jamie the jamie fox taping like the last season of that wow and yeah that's cool audience. it was it was Mad cool. So although I have been to LA and been living here for a few months or a couple months, like every that would have been the second summer. Um, I had never really saw anything like that, you know, besides the outside of the studio. Hey, that's where Sony is, or hey, that's what WB is. But to be in the crowd and we're rolling like that whole thing, it was a thing. I was just as um enamored by by just like our kids and I got a piece of that and I never really wanted to look back. So uh, I was reading in your bio that you, you know, you started out in acting, as you said, but, you know, obviously mm -hmm. you've now branched out into all facets of filmmaking. You, you write, you produce, you direct. Um, how did you sort of make the leap from being in front of the camera to then getting into the rest of the things that are entailed in, in making a, a film or a TV show? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things that kind of happened, you know, I had a I had my first child, my son, my oldest son, and um, that kind of happened at the same time that I got dropped from my, my my agent at the time, and because of that, I had to pick up a second job, and in the second job, I kind of to stay up, I would have to write. So all these things happened around the exact same time. It was like the perfect storm, you know. So I was working at this this group home at night, and and what we had to do was was like in a hallway. So you're like a, a, a case manager, if you will, that's what they call you. <laughs> but you're really like a security guard. <laughs> and, uh, and But you, you couldn't go to sleep. You had to stay up on the floor. And to stay up on the floor, I started writing because uh, I was already already mm -hmm. writing poetry. So I heard this interview from Ice Cube and Ice Cube said he taught himself how to write scripts by mimicking a script that somebody gave him. And that's how, that's around how they created Friday. Then DJ Poole took it to another level. Um, but yeah, so when he, did, when he did that, I did the same thing. I stayed up one night 
I printed a script uh, from off offline or some. I don't know where I got that script from. Now thinking, I think maybe one of my friends uh, that believed in what I was trying to do got it to me. And do you remember what it was? It's a good question. I think it was a sports movie. I want to say it was. That's a great question. I think it was. Um, what's the What's the movie with the football? With the when they when they put the young, the little white boy up on the at the hit at the end. Um, uh, it's it's a classic. Rudy, 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 yeah, Rudy. That's what it was. It was Rudy. <laughs> yeah, so I had Rudy, and because I was writing a sports movie about my cousin, he was a basketball player, but he is a basketball. Well, he was a basketball. He's still alive, but he was a basketball player in college, and um, I was writing his story, um, mimicking that. And that's what happened. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> so that's kind of how it happened from there. And then because of the producing thing, I was already acting and writing. My my good friend, one of my best friends, Isaac Keys, who's now starring on the new Power, Power Book 4 that's coming out, Tommy's version. Um, he and I worked that same job. And uh, I wrote the script, my first script, my first, that wasn't my first script that I gave him, gave him, but I gave him a script that I had written. He liked it. He asked me for more of it. I wrote it, gave it to him. And he, he loved that and was like, yo, let's produce this. So we then fell into producing. And I wrote it for him to star in. I wrote it for me to be in and produce. Cause I, you know, I'm still an actor at that time. I'm still an actor now. Um, but I was more on the acting side than I am now, more writing and directing and producing. And um, so I wrote a part for me that was significant, but I didn't have to be in every scene. Um, and I just wanted to make sure everything was, the people that we hired was in a good place. And then he turned to me when we had interviewed a, a few directors and was just like, oh, you should be the one to direct this. So the directing is the last of the talents or the tools that came because the happenstance was my, my buddy, who was my producing partner, said that I should, I'm the one that knows it. I'm the one that's gonna make sure our money was in the best um, best light. So I said, let's do it. And that's how I started directing. I always thought I could because of my background and my education, but um, that was the first time I did it. And that's kind of how that perfect storm of being fired, well, being dropped, you know, writing at night, then led to producing and acting, and then eventually directing my first web series called The Therapist. That's really interesting because it feels like, uh, like I, I feel like when we've asked other guests about you know how they sort of got into their thing, it was like very intentional, right? Like yeah. they had this like clear cut path that they wanted to do, and it seems for you like it was a lot more sort of not, I don't want to say circumstantial, like you, you went to out, out, out to LA and then you sort of get, you start getting into acting, but it feels like these opportunities sort of sprung up maybe unexpectedly. Like this, these weren't things that maybe you had considered doing uh, in any like super serious way until an opportunity came along. And then you were able to just kind of jump into it, which I think actually says a lot about the type of person and the artist that you are, that you're able to sort of just like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll direct it. All right. And then like, go, you know? Yeah. One thing, you know, I'm not really like cocky person, but I am confident in a few things. And a few things that I am confident in is that I can pick up on most anything. I'm just, I'm just gifted that way. Um, so if I watch something, I see. Are something. you now? Are you just gifted that way? Okay. Well, not to sound cocky at all. Well, no. Meaning. Meaning. <laughs> I just made 
messing with you, G. I'm just messing with you. <laughs> you know, there's, there's an ability to pick up on things fast, right? Um, so, yeah. So from that, I just, you know, kind of leaned into it. Again, I've always been intrigued. I just, here's the other part I should say, right? And that's a part of the reason why I created a mentorship program. In in Chicago, I was, in fast, I was fascinated with TV, Silver Spoons, Different Strokes, things like that. Eventually, Hillman, you know, um, you know, the whole Cosby show and things of that sort, right? But I never knew how to get to it, right? So the dream of being able to do it was like, I don't know how to do it. I mean, nobody around me was doing it. You know, it was, it was, it felt so far away. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until I got to LA, remember how I said when I, when I walked, it was like the kids, I was like, oh shit, this is what it feels like. Can I curse my hand? Yeah. Please yeah. do. Fucking go oh. for it. Fucking go for it. <laughs> Fucking go for it. <laughs> so yeah, I just... You know, from there, man, it just, like I said, opened my eyes. Yeah. So it, it was something that left me with as I went to go graduate because I was a junior in college, undergrad at the time that that, that happened. Mm-hmm. Graduated a year and a half later. Yeah, I was a four and a half year student undergrad. And then after that, I did two years of grad school. You know what I mean? So I was four years removed from that feeling. So when I came back to L.A. to visit, and I was I was granted an opportunity to be around a film and be prepared for that moment. Um, it just happened that way. So I never really saw that it could really happen for me. Yeah. When I when I got a taste of it, uh, I saw I wanted to start putting myself around it so I can soak it up. I can learn from it. I can meet the right people. I can at least pay attention to stuff like, oh, that's what that's what that guy or that position do. But um, that's what they're responsible for. And that's kind of how it grew. I am like, it's weird because we share a commonality in that. Like for a very long time, I don't think, I think as you're developing as a human being to really realize that all the little pieces and components will get you to where you need, like, you know, that hindsight thing is always crazy. Like you look back and like all of those elements, whether the highs, the lows, you know, the when people uh, don't see you for who you are, um, when they don't, when they look, when you're overlooked, you know, when you, all of that kind of leads to, I was messing with you about being cocky, but 1000%, I agree that, because the same thing kind of happened to me. I haven't reached your level. I'm trying to get to where you are, but, you know, <laughs> Stop. I'm trying, trying to get to where you are. But what I will say is I've never been one to wait. So if something was in front of me and something was opportunity, and sometimes I went out and sought my own opportunities, but it was always, um, so Ryan, I agree with you about the non-intentional stuff, but he was already an actor. But what happened is the higher powers decided to use the acting to get him to the other stuff. Like the acting, had it not been for the acting, he couldn't possibly have got gained interest in writing and directing. So it always is, um, as the uh, book of the Alchemist says, um, a conspiracy. Like the the fates are conspiring. I call them God. Some people say other things. Whatever you believe in, but God is always conspiring in these little thoughts and these little ways to kind of get you to where he needs you to be. And what I will ask you, Gino, is on that road when you were having all these major um, 
these major turns and stuff because I really want Art of the Grind, this particular section of our podcast, to talk to people who are right now really figuring it out wherever they are in their career because there are people who are lawyers, who are doctors, and they are transitioning. And they are like, listen, I want to be more creative. How do I do that? In the times of disease, in the times of not knowing what was next, what kept you kind of centered and focused to, to keep going, to keep moving forward, even when you weren't certain, when the money wasn't right or when the, you know, when the wife was like, okay, I, what we doing? Um, those moments, because I know how women are. We like a little bit of, <laughs> we like security. No, we like security. We yeah, do. We like course. to feel like things are. And the one thing about this industry is it is almost solely unless you work for a um, someone or you work for a network or a distribution company, it's solely being a consultant. So there's a time when you're just kind of working from paycheck to paycheck. So how was that for you and how did you stay on task? I would, you know, as far as the money side, I was I was fortunate enough to have a career um oh that's right you you an educated brother okay my bad <laughs> yeah i was working as a social worker um in compton at the time so i was able to do that although you know at some point you realize what you're doing is not what you want to do with the rest of your life but i still had you know i, I, I had some money coming in to be like I, I can float my dream as long as i can balance that and my family and for me once i got again going back to that taste but that feeling that I got, I never wanted, I, 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 I couldn't live without it. So the chase of it, you know, I started to, you know, create my own thing. So one web series then turned into 30, you know what I mean? Projects, not necessarily all web series, but all like 30 projects. And at some point when I kind of mastered that, meaning like knowing how to write something, produce something, keep people entertained, um, select the right cast and things of that sort. It was like, okay, I'm missing something from what I call the major leagues or the big boys league. And cause that's independent. That's like self-produced independence, which is different than independence. Uh, self-produced independence is a bit smaller group. Right. Um, then I was like, you know what? I need uh, a taste of what that looks like. So for me, it was like, I kept ch chasing the taste while keeping the balance in home. Um, at least I think I was, um, you know, but I was definitely, that was my intention. So I just, I always sought more opportunities um, to be around situations. I never was a person that wouldn't give up my time to learn or to network or to meet someone because I'm the type of person I feel like, again, this is one of these moments, I guess I'm talking in, you know, in third person today, but I feel like if I'm in a room, right, with people, then they'll pick up on, you know, the sincerity, they'll understand the skill set, that they can be around me, that they can trust me. Um, they And sometimes it's not even like trust with this, it's more trust with, I'm allowing you access to this, right? And once I figured out how to kind of do that and navigate and really not, you know, be mesmerized by celebrity opportunity, 
then I was the doors open for me. I don't remember who it was, but there's someone, there's a famous quote that's something along the lines of like 90% of life is just showing up. And I feel like what you're, what you're talking about right now really embodies that. And something else that we talked about on the show a lot that I feel like is uh, I'm, I'm sort of feeling from, from what you're saying is this idea, like uh, often creative people or people who want to be more creative sort of get caught in this, like, well, like how, how do I do it? Like what, what, what are the steps? What, and I feel like what we talk about a lot and what we hear other people who have been on the show talk about a lot is like, you just got to do it at some point. Like you just got to start and just start with what you have and go, and you don't have to have the end in sight necessarily. Uh, like, it's really just about the starting and people are always like, no, it can't be that. Like, I feel like I talk to a lot of people who are like, no, it can't be that easy. And you're like, no, it actually really is. Like, I'm not, it's not easy. It's hard work, but to, it is easy in the sense that you just have to do it. Like you just have to show up to the meetings. You just have to do the work. What I'll say to that, Ryan, is that, yes, I agree. And what I learned, though, is even when you're starting something new, if you bring in something that may, because we talked about this in our group, in our room, it's transferable skills. So you may be coming in and saying, how can I do this? I'm never direct, I've never directed before, Right. You don't know how to do that. And so this is new to you, but coming in with some transferable skills and understanding what you are good at could help you in this. So if I'm good at organizing, at the very least, I know I'm good at organizing. At the very least, I can style a house. I mean, like if I had all the money in the world, I could put some little trinkets in the crib. It'll look so if that's something that you can build on towards the things, I think you bring that. One, you walk in your power in that. Two, you let people know that that's what it is. Yeah, that's a, that's a tremendous advice. I, and really, I think so true. Like just show up and bring what you have and 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 welcome the opportunity to learn, I think is is so key. Just just being around the space like you're talking about is is invaluable. The other thing that he said is sort of my life's mantra. Just get me in the room because I know once I'm in the room, I bring everything else, the likability, the, the essence. I know when I'm ready, like I'm not going to go into the room ready. Just get me in the room. So I like that one, G. So you had mentioned it. Uh, anyone who is sort of, you know, been uh, an inspiration or, or would lend you a helping hand, someone who has been critical, uh, it's sort of on your journey from, from where you started to where you are now, you had mentioned a mentor, but let's talk about them. Yeah. It's funny. Cause you know, I had, I was, I, I, I might have said this before too. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to not to. I'm trying to make sure I keep it fresh. But I, one thing that people should know is that creatively, at some point, I had a, a creative depression. Mind you, I got. I'm responsible for eighty people, right? Five, four projects at one time. A cast of twenty people. People that's producing it. People that's shooting it. Um, I felt like I hit a ceiling and I just couldn't understand the thing that I really, although I'm operating and I can tell you why I was operating in web series. Cause I was like, this is the money that I have. These are the resources. Let me show you that I can tell a story. Let me show you that I can run a team. So it was, it was one creatively, I was able to create and produce and put it out into the world for the immediate reaction from the fans and for the supporters. But then there was a side is like, I'm keeping this going as I'm waiting and looking for my opportunity to level up, right? And I think I should say, before I get to the to that part of the answer, is that at some point I had created depression and I couldn't, I couldn't understand why somebody could see how talented I was and not say, come here, G. 
just put me under that wing. You know what I mean? You know, again, what I realized after that was that when you ask somebody to be your mentor, what you're really asking for is one, for them to vouch for you at some point. Two, you're asking for access to their world, to that information, to that knowledge and their time. You know, so when I figured that part out, I was just like, you know what? I'm going about this thing wrong. I was waiting on people to come to me. But now that when I'm in these same rooms, I'm like, you know what, let me try something different, right? Because I was just like, all right, they're going to see how dope I am. They're going to try to come holler at me. Nah, that ain't what happened. For real. So what I started doing was, you know, I started asking for opportunities. I was too, I might have been too, um, going back to the world cocky, just looking at the green me. But um, so then I started putting myself in opportunity and just asking for access. Like, hey, I'm here. This is what I'm doing. That's the other part. They saw I was doing something. They saw I wasn't just like somebody that was like knocking on the door. Like, how can I? When they, then I was like, here's what I have going on. This is my network that I built. These are all the series that I either wrote, directed, produced, or shot, right? Or acted in. This is my world. I had 100,000 thousands of views, that kind of thing. And then they was like, oh, okay. They saw it was pretty good, pretty decent for the budget. I always say, I'm shooting this out with my own money, our own money. Um, and they liked it. And then people started saying, all right, come on, come over here. And then that that opportunity led to jobs that I never asked for. But, you know, it was just the, the far, first part they needed to say if I'm cool, if I'm talented, if I'm doing things for myself, and what what's my real ask? And I really wasn't asking for much. I was just asking for to build a relationship and to have access to opportunities that I wouldn't like distract them from. Just let me be in a room if possible. I wasn't asking, let me get a job. I wouldn't ask for no money to help me produce anything because I was doing that on my own. And then once they kind of fell in love with that, then they started asking you, what do you need? And when the, when the shit, when, the, when that shift acts, you just got to be prepared for whatever you're asking for. And most of the times I was prepared for whatever I could ask them for. So I, you've been so generous with your time and I want to, there's something I definitely want to ask you about. I, I know we're limited here. So switching from making movies to Oscar nominated movies, in fact, to launching a streaming service, which is something you did in 2014, you launched the artistic standard TV I f that that's like a whole other beast, right? Like uh, filmmaking is its own thing, but launching your own business, it's a completely different animal. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, what inspired you first to launch your own channel? And like, how did you sort of adjust to that aspect of the business? And is there any advice you would give someone who's trying to do the same? I've always been an entrepreneur, right? Like just by, I, I might've not gotten it right all the time, but I've always known that, you know, owning your own stuff was the way. You know, my grandfather, the very man that I was telling you about, owned several hardware stores and several properties around the city. So I grew up in working in those as a, as a kid and how people revered him. So it's, it's kind of in me um, to think like that. But I'll say as a, cause it was a collective with me and my, um, before I did my own, I was with a group of people, um, filmmakers called Band of Artists. And we were one of the first groups, I don't know if we were the first, but we were one of the first groups that figured out how to monetize web series. When people was like, how do you monetize it? Like, why are you shooting that? How can you make money off of it? We was one of the first ones to kind of how to learn how to figure that out. So once we disband, 
I was a part of creating that model. So I just went on and created my own. Um, and the reason why I wanted to do that is be like, hey, I got my own content, I got my own fan base, you know, um, I can pull them over to me. And then um, Shakisha probably heard me say this before, but it was one point, like when I was working on Star, I was really there for the opportunity and access. I was making more money than, you know what I'm saying, on my own plat my independent platform. You know, and I wish I would have never let it go because I wouldn't be like right now. I could, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> but I'm but I'm planning to kind of lean into that um, moving forward this year. But <clears throat> I say that to say, um, I started it one because I have my own content, I have my own fan base, and they were they were longing for my content. And two, I had previously done it with a group that we collectively created it together. But now it was more about mine and the artist. Uh, but the reason why we did it is because everybody couldn't figure it out and we did and we was just like you know what let's get this bread and, um, and for a very long time it was really good to us and really good to me um, but the day-to-day -day life now here's what happened though in that and which probably happened in my long my long-term goal Right, it probably it shortened my short-term situation for my long-term goal because then I was like, now that I'm working on shows and movies like that caliber, my intention shifted to their stuff, right? Because I was trying to, I didn't want to, I didn't want. I'm a person if I get an opportunity, I don't want to fuck it up. And what I would do with my stuff, I would it would require me to shoot, 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 shoot. So I would literally clock out it six o'clock, get home, spend time with the family as much as I could. Sometimes I wouldn't go, I would go straight to set, but most times I would go home, eat, right? And then shoot from 10 o'clock to one o'clock, you know? Or, and then pick up on any night scene or day scenes on the weekend. I would spend most of my weekend shooting. So it was a lot of that. And I was like, well, if I'm here, and I'm doing Oscar nominated stuff, meaning I was in the room. They had to call me for him, right? I had the Hollywood Reporter had to set up meetings with me. So I was like, I was that close to what my, my super goal was. So I lost focus and time and desire to kind of do that. Plus it was already weighing heavy on the family when it was just that. So I put that away for a while and I kept it, it's still going. It's still up with some of my old content, but I haven't revived it and put anything new into it. And that's what this year is about is to refocus on and get opportunity for up emerging creatives to have that platform to have a, a yeah that was something that i wanted to ask you about specifically i love that part of the mission is supporting and this is directly from the website supporting rising bold voices and talent and giving them space to hone their craft uh and the, including that as the bear the torch mentorship program right yes yes can you tell us about that a little bit uh yeah for the importance of mentoring and and uh you know what you look for, I guess, in, in uh, prospective talent or, or people that you want to work with and help grow? Well, it came to, it, I've always known, you know, my mom's is a social worker. So I've always kind of had that, that, that feeling like it should be more than about you and what's happening around your space. You should be trying to, you know, elevate, lift up when you can, when it's not detrimental to you or your family. Right. So I always have to say that because people are like, yeah, but I don't have time. Right. So I'm not I'm, I don't have time if it's taken away or harming anything that I care about. But I do make time. Um, and the reason why I do it is because of 
a missed side of me that was a social worker. Mm-hmm. It's that when I turned my life over fully to art. And now that I'm doing art, I miss social work. So I was like, how can I kind of, this idea that I wanted to do a mentorship program, you know, at some point I got to bring it back. And when the pandemic happened, we were all in the house. And I was just like, I told my team, it's like, now's the time. They thought I was crazy. They, they're glad I did it. We did it. Um, but we formulated and put together a, a, a curriculum and we launched it and on our social media, we didn't even have no lives, like big blasts. I probably, we probably only had like a thousand, fifteen hundred followers at the time. And then kind of traveled to who I needed to get to different states and people, we had like 300, 323 to be exact. Wow. Nations. Yeah. But with a small team, that's a lot. Yeah. And yeah. Because we had to, what we were asking for is application, asking questions, a writing sample of up to five pages, three to five pages. So we had to get through all those materials and narrow it down to the top 30. And from the top 30, we did, we got it down to the top 12. And we, cause we were only gonna accept seven or eight. And cause there's eight of us or seven of us in the company. And the plan was to each of us take a mint mm-hmm. and be responsible for it. But we narrowed it down and got to the best people. Well, not the best people, I hate to say it, just the people that were right for the program at the time. So it's important for me because one, I wanted to do it, two is in me and, and, and from my mom's. And thirdly is that thing that I've always wanted somebody to do for me, right? Remember I was just talking about that, that I wish somebody was there to recognize and pour into me, just give me an opportunity. Um, I feel like with this program, we could do that with the level of resources and the community and the people that I'm attached to and know me that owe, that feels like they owe me a favor and people that I can call on. Um, and that's what I was able to do. Well, Gino, like for a lot of us starting knowing where to begin is always the hardest part. Um, and, and doing bear the torch you yourself and Miles and the rest of your team have dismantled the idea of I got to do so much or I got to have corporate sponsorship or, you know, just really just diving in and making it happen Um, and growing a new group of artists, showing them that it could be done, showing them that, you know, we believe in you which is so important, particularly to black and brown folks. Like we don't really have those opportunities in the industry and you have found a way to provide them. What you mentioned earlier, Tamika told me um, and the rooms in Clubhouse this often. Gino said for me to remember, direct quote, Gino said for me to remember my why. That's what you have done continuously in your work you continue to remember your why and not letting, you know, and I know it's a, it's a difficult balance, particularly in this industry. I know for a fact you spent all of December, every single weekend um, doing, it had to be 15 hour days. Easy. Easy um, to make this happen with the blood, sweat and tears. And I really believe that, you know, the the greater you know corp the greater corporate world needs to know about this because it is something to be backed it is something you know a lot of these companies pledged billions of dollars 
you know, during the Black Lives Matter movement and why not support something that's giving a voice to these people. So I'm thanking you on behalf of the, the people who are even behind this inaugural, you know, group of um, graduates from from the, from the Bear to Torch mentorship. But narrowing down from 323 on a first run, like applications, that is like, insane. That's real. a crazy number. That's a crazy number. And I think that that speaks so much to the point that you're making, Shakisha, about the need for this type of leg up or, you know, extending the hand down and, and helping people, especially black and brown people, like you said, get into an industry where historically, you know, they've, they, they've been overlooked. Um, I'm, so I guess my question for you is to narrow it down to 12, which is more than you said you wanted to do initially. How do you get from, beside, I know that that's a ton of work, but like what were the qualities that you were looking for that sort of helped these 12 stand out among the 300 plus that you guys were reviewing? Well, that 12 eventually got down to, we interviewed 12, so it then eventually got down to eight, which was- Oh, hard. sorry, to, down to eight. So even more to the point, you so, know, what, right. what helped yeah, us eight? It, yeah. That was extremely hard. That was one of the hardest creative decisions we I've had to be a part of. Luckily, it wasn't just me. Um, but I would say, you know, uh, you know this pro, let's, I should also say, Ryan, that this program was designed for the filmmaker that's sitting on their couch that want to, like me, again, go, everything goes back to that feeling of me like being in Chicago. It's like, I know I wanna do that, but I don't know how to do that, right? Um, and the fact that they've, you know, like Shakisha and I, you know, we have some sweat in the game. So we still may not be the household names, right? Um, but we have enough to show that we've done something, right? And so I say that to say that that's a love, that's a difference. They have a lot of programs for people like us. That. This was specifically designed for people that didn't have as much access, knowledge and information and skill set, right? Than people that's in our group. So that's how, you know, so we met a lot of really talented people that are primed for something that was bigger than, I want to say bigger because that, minimizes what we're doing, but just something different, a different program. So once we get narrowed it down to the to the the, the drive, right? Because I'm not stopping. I, I had to have somebody that I felt like that was going to finish the program and do all the required assignments to a baseline understanding of who they are as an artist, right? Like what they was what would you say if you had an opportunity, right? Like if you could say it, if you can get in front of the world and do a poem like the little young lady who did the poem, like if, or if you, you you know you had your TV show, what would it represent? You know, like you know, what's your messaging? What are you connected to? I even like to ask now, like I know my causes. I know homelessness, diabetes, and HBCUs are three things that I'm gonna stand up for and I'm a rock for in whatever I do, right? Um, so I say that to say, if they had an inkling of uh, understanding of what they could do, besides, and if they had a little bit of a foundation of who they were as an artist, they just needed a, a, some support, they needed resources, they need some tutoring, some education, and I felt like we were the right project, we were the right program for them. And, and, that, and lastly, the personality trait that you feel like that you can be with this person for a year. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's gotta be a key component yeah. of it because you are <laughs> going to be spending so much time with them. But I think that response short sort of shows what Shakisha was saying before is that you understand your why and, and you're so committed to it and everything that you do and, and understanding the difference that you want to make and, and the goals that you have. And it's actually pretty amazing and inspiring that you are able to embody that even in a mentorship program where you're looking for people who are um, so closely tied to the reasons why you're doing what you're doing today. Anyway, it's super inspiring. Well, I think we are up against it here. Shakisha, is there anything else? That you wanted to ask or say before we yeah i want to be i want to be like gino when i grow up man like <laughs> i want to be like gino like i i honestly want to not only take the ride but enjoy it understand it that's what i get from you like you understand what it's about you get it yeah. and there's this um we i don't know if you were in the room there was this guy who's from another country and he kept asking american like the us Oh, where can I, where do we want to do American distribution? I said to him four different times, hungry, not thirsty. Right. You are the epitome of ambition and passion without the how. Let me, let me do the work and the how will show up. And so many mm. artists need to remember that because it's hard. You have to be in it today because you don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. There are highs, lows, hills and valleys, mountains to climb. And if you're always looking for the not like resting in the journey, which is something that I've had so many problems with. I've talked to Ryan about it so many times. You mm. are the epitome of understanding the journey. My man, it has been so amazing. Like, <laughs> I, like I think I like you think, you know, Gino, because you see him on Clubhouse and he gets. And then you hear these deep conversations and man, listen, woo, it's been an honor getting to know you, brother. Yeah, it really has. Thank you so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. I don't know if you ever do repeats, but catch me next time. I was, I was going to say, we definitely got to connect. When that Emmy, when that Emmy, when you uh, nominate for that prime time, yeah, we definitely going to have you on. <laughs> <laughs> listen, from your mouth to God's ears. Come on. That's all for another episode of SATWB. Thank you so much to today's guest, Gino Brooks. Bigger and better things are coming for that man in the future. I am sure of it. And listener, if you'd like to see bigger and better things from your friends here at Shakisha and the White Boy, you can help make that happen by becoming a podcast supporter for as little as a dollar a month. Learn how to do that by visiting us at anchor.fm backslash SATWB and clicking the support button. Don't make us start a Patreon and, and start putting these behind the paywall. Support us now while you have the chance because I'm putting that thread out there. We don't start seeing the support. I might have to do a Patreon or maybe an OnlyFans as you were talking about earlier, Shakisha. Damn, are you trying to stick them for their paper? Okay, let's go. <laughs> That's right. We're the podcast Biggie now. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Biggie was the one who was, who was people wanted to stick for his paper. In right, that right, exactly. So I exactly. had it back. I was exactly. thinking more of um, Give Me the Loot. Like, where are the, Give uh, me the loot. <laughs> who's, who's the feature on that? It's Biggie and. Um, and then there's, and then there's Cream. Uh, cash rules everything around me. Don't make us do it because we'll do it. We crazy. We crazy. <laughs> oh man so anything you'd like to add before we get out of here my friend yo shout out to big g Gino, shout out thank to you. you ryan have a good time with your new nephew thank you very much and, uh, thank you to everyone who continues to support and listen um we can't do it without y'all that's right keep listening we're so happy that you're here this far 
And uh, while we're doing shout outs, of course, we always got to give a special one to our guy, Berberock, who wrote and produced our intro music. You can find more of his music by visiting brbrck.com. And please, if you're listening this far, clearly you like the show. So don't forget to like and subscribe where you can and rate us if you're able to do so, as long as you're going to give us five stars. Otherwise, forget about it. And of course, follow us on the socials. We're on Insta at SATWB1 and on Facebook too. We got the YouTube going. We're off and running. Season two is in full force. I'm loving it. Uh, And we are actually off next week though, but we will be back on February 21st. But listener, this gives you some time to catch up on some episodes. So go and do that. Go and find one you haven't listened to yet and check it out. Until next time. Bye-bye.